Jesus is alive. It's good news today. Welcome to church. My name's Dallas. I get to be one of the pastors here, and we're really glad to have you in this space. And for those of you online, he is risen. Good to have you with us. All this applause and cheering is for you for joining us today. Thank you to all our college and university students who are here as uh, exams start and assignments happen. Well, I trust you won't feel that you've wasted any time by being in the presence of the Lord as you take time to worship him. And you were singing really well this morning too. That was good worship. Children's team, greeter team, janitorial staff, um, worship team, tech team. Would you give everybody a round of applause for all they're serving? Who appreciates, we just saw a little video and some pictures of a garden, who appreciates or would you would say even loves a beautiful garden? Like you appreciate seeing it, looking at it, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I don't mean a garden like that's full of beets and squash and Swiss chard. I mean like the beautiful flower gardens that have lots of green, luscious foliage and bright, vivid flowers. It might not seem masculine enough to the guys in the back row for me to be up here talking about flowers, but it is because my wife loves flowers and therefore I love flowers as well. We chase flowers on vacation. We find botanical gardens and much to my son and daughter's dismay, sometimes we spend too many time, too much time in gardens. And one of those times to them might have been in 2019 when we were in Southeast Asia and spent some time in Thailand. Shortly after we arrived in February of 2019, we were, and we were in Chiang Mai, Thailand. We were there for the Chiang Mai annual flower festival. And if you can imagine beautiful Thailand in February rather than Saskatchewan in February, you can imagine that they weren't silk flowers. They were the real deal in Thailand at that time. So I have a couple pictures to show you of these floats. It was like the Asian display of the Rose Bowl parade. And... Um, I did just give them a round of applause. I may have to get you to take that back. I'm only saying that because my friend is on the computer and she will laugh with me, I hope. We may come back to them. I'm wearing a new shirt. Uh, I've got a new shirt today. It's kind of flowery. It's got some pink on it. Little pink dots. There we go. Thank you, tech team. Again, another round of applause for tech. Tech is never the cause of the problem. They're always the solution because gremlins live in our system at times. That, whoops, that is a float and any piece of color or anything on these floats were all live flowers. So if we go to the next one, you see every little thing is a live flower. And we followed this, we watched this parade, and then we walked over to the botanical gardens where it ended, and the garden was just filled. And there you see a monkey with his family and King Kong. <laughs> and uh, if you followed the order of that, you'll know I called myself a monkey there, but that, even that big orange monkey is all flowers. It was a huge, 
huge parade with all these beautiful flowers that ended in this great big garden. It's the day that I've talked about before that my family, I walked them through Chiang Mai where I had never been but knew exactly where I was going and took the longest route possible to walk to that garden and uh, they haven't let me forget it. But Leah loved that place. I thought it was beautiful. We got to soak in the beauty. One of the, one of the things about a beautiful garden, and it happened that day, even though there was hundreds, if not thousands of people in that garden, people were peaceful. People were enjoying. People were smiling. People were walking around. They knew exactly what to expect in this beautiful garden. Lots of beauty, manicured paths, and it was just a beautiful display and a beautiful day. It was quite different than how it turned out in the garden where Jesus was buried. Because the ladies who came and showed up in what they expected to be an act of homage or worship or paying respect in this quiet garden soon got a wake-up call and the garden that they thought they were waking up to go into was nothing at all like they had expected. It was quite the different scene on Sunday morning after Jesus' crucifixion. The events in the garden on Resurrection Sunday would literally turn the world upside down for the rest of history. For the rest of your history, for the rest of my history. And on this Resurrection Sunday, how will you let it turn your world upside down for the days, weeks, and years ahead? Today we're going to look at some of those events on Resurrection Sunday and explore the reasons why our world is actually turned upside down. And if you will live the rest of your life as such, that your life is actually turned upside down because of the knowledge and the truth of the risen Savior. We will see that Jesus coming back to life is actually what brings hope to our life. The Rock Church, our mission statement is bringing hope to life. And it totally fits today because the resurrected Savior is what brings hope to our life. It brings hope alive again and it makes hope alive and tangible that it actually can be deposited in your heart because of the truth of who Jesus is. Amen? Resurrecting Sunday, I'm expecting some good help. Amen? Amen. Matthew 28. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying, and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid, go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather in this place and online to think about you, to worship you, we ask that you would come 
through the power of Holy Spirit, and you would take the words of your gospel, and you would anoint me to speak words after your own heart, and what you would have me to say, and that they would go into good soil today. That, Father, we would be transformed, we would be lit up, we would be reignited because of the truth that you resurrected, that you came back to life. And it's not just a bumper sticker, it's not a poster on a wall, but it's a reality for us to live in. And so, God, would you use this time, this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here we have read about the events in the garden that Sunday and what began in this peaceful manner did not stay very long. The ladies arrived again, having kind of forgotten Jesus's words or not realizing how they would play out after he has been crucified. They actually arrived probably peaceful and somber. The gospels of Mark and Luke say that they had bought and prepared spices to bring to the garden and to bring to Jesus. Now, for us in the Western world, when we talk about going to a cemetery or where somebody's buried, we will often take flowers and we will put them there as a memorial, as an act of love and an act of remembrance. This maybe could be compared to that, but they weren't bringing flowers. They were bringing spices, not to worship a risen Savior, but to cut the stench of a decomposing body. And they had no idea really how they were going to get there because they knew a stone was rolled in front. So they didn't know how they would actually get to sprinkle these spices on the body of Jesus to cover up the smell of decomposing flesh. And so they're coming there again, stepping into the garden with a level of non-anticipation. And the greatest point of excitement was how are we going to get the spices on Jesus's body? Not really what Jesus had planned in regards to the third day and their level of excitement. However, as they arrived, it says, an earthquake happened. An angel appears glowing. A stone is rolled away. The guards that are there to intimidate and keep people away have now shook with fear and actually passed out and fainted. The angel says, do not fear. Come see where he is laying. He's not here. Go quickly and tell the others he has risen from the dead. It's amazing. The resurrection story is told in all four Gospels. None of them are told exactly the same. They have a different emphasis. And for those who want to disprove the resurrection, some of what's within the scripture themselves actually help prove it. In all four accounts, they're all told differently. Now, if you were an officer or an investigator in this room and you had to figure out a crime scene or something that had taken place and you brought four different people into the same space and they all told you exactly the same thing at exactly the same time in exactly the same manner you would think I think they had a meeting I think they've collaborated there is no way they could all tell us exactly the same thing and that's what happens here in the four gospels we see different things emphasized in each and di- each and every way and it's also told so matter-of-factly it's interesting to me that we have chapters upon chapters of Jesus's life and what he's teaching and what he wants his people to know and then the actual crucifixion and resurrection is told within just a couple chapters really and the resurrection itself within a few paragraphs that to me it struck me as I was preparing for this message that it's just like matter-of-fact 
It's like for the people that were choosing to follow him, it's not like we have to go about debating this forever. It's like, this is all, this is how you're supposed to live, and this is what he's going to do, and then boom, there's the facts, and now carry on, and we have the rest of the New Testament, and Peter and Paul and the other guys explaining about how we're actually supposed to live out the life that's been purchased for us. So it's kind of a done deal kind of conversation. It's also interesting to me that the women were the main characters in the retelling of this story, at least at times in it. They're recorded as the first ones on the scene at the tomb that morning. Now, if you were trying to make something up and prove something about a story in those days over 2,000 years ago, you would not use a woman's testimony. You would, you would be trying to find the strongest reasoning and the strongest voice to project your message out there and in those days women's testimony was not seen as valuable and it was basically worthless and yet the story and the hope of the gospel is first encountered with these ladies and then proclaimed by these ladies as they're supposed to go out and tell the disciples it's amazing to me but and that's they showed up somber, not remembering or expecting Jesus to be alive. At least they showed up. All those male disciples, what are they doing? Sleeping? How come they didn't show up in the garden? And when the message came to them that Jesus had risen from the dead and that he was alive, two of them went. Peter and John ran to the tomb to see what was going on. And the other guys were probably shuddering in fear yet or still sleeping. It's like, why, why after Jesus had proclaimed his death that the same proclamation about his resurrection wasn't being held to by the disciples and those who were following him? Well, it was all going to shake up really, really quickly. Christ's death had taken place, the ultimate end game for how God would once and all deal with all manner of sin played out, the sacrifices that were done over and over again to cover the laws that were broken over and over again, those sacrifices were now finished because the ultimate perfect sacrifice had been offered on the cross. God offered the ultimate plan by offering a perfect sacrifice that required a perfect death payment so that there would never be another call for another payment. Sin needed to be paid for by blood. Disobedience against God required a death payment. And every human being would have to pay that payment by death and eternity in hell if it was left to them alone. But God's requirement would be satisfied with a perfect sacrifice when jesus came lived a perfect life taught a perfect gospel died a perfect death in order for it to reestablish a perfect relationship between us and god the legal debt was paid for by his death and now by the resurrection there was power over death sin was conquered it would no longer jesus showed that he had the ultimate power over that which had killed him and because he had power over that and now could live again those who believe in him that he would place that power in in them as well so that they could live this life and then live for eternity with him forever in heaven if I was to take the illustration of being in debt financially, and let's say that you had a $100,000 debt that you couldn't pay, 
You had no disability insurance. You had no ability to work. It's just hanging over your head. And somebody came along and paid that debt. Whoosh, you're back up to zero. And that you're grateful that that debt has been taken, pay, been taken care of. But when you're at zero, you're still broke. There isn't much life to be had on zero dollars, at least in my little world. So that sin debt was covered and it took us back up to zero. That's what Jesus did when he died for us. But then when he came back to life, he gave us what was needed so that we could actually live life. He credited life to our account. He didn't just erase death, but then he credited life. And now we have a purpose and a reason to live. Jesus' resurrection is what brings hope to our lives. We no longer just say, stay grateful little sinners that have been their debt paid for. We now live in victory alongside co-heirs. Brendan said it on Friday. Jesus is our brother. He's bringing us along for the ride if we choose to get on the bicycle. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. I hope you read this a few times today to let it sink in. But it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hope through the resurrection. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you don't not, did not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The trials, the suffering, the hardships that you experience are actually intended to help prove the genuineness of your faith. We talk about God not testing us. That's a conversation for another day. But if your struggles test your own faith, and if they prove your own faith, and they show you that you can follow and trust in Jesus with your faith in him, that is more valuable than gold, it says. As in people would pay good money to experience that kind of confidence in Jesus Christ and your struggles and your trials prove the genuineness of the, of the faith and the living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus. You see, we need a living hope that can come through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not just one of the funnest days to be in church. It's one of the most important days to acknowledge that you are a follower of Jesus Christ because it turns your world upside down and gives you a purpose and a taste for living that people out there are paying money for and chasing drugs for and chasing relationships for and chasing porn for and chasing trips for. And you can have it daily and live the life that he's called you to live without a false sense of where you're going to find it from. I'm preaching better than you're amening. (laughs) 
When we look at this world, we see that hope is a rare commodity. Political leadership of any stripe has not been able to fix this world. Environmental challenges, whatever your take on any of that is, there are challenges. Hundreds of thousands without power in Quebec this week. Earthquakes in Syria and Turkey. Bullying, racism, sexism, discrimination, still rampant in our world. We have not been able to educate sinful nature out of the mankind in order to live the way that we were called and created to live by God. Celebrities are more messed up than us regular folks, and they were supposed to be our role models at one given time. And now they're, the, they're entertainment. They themselves are often the entertainment rather than what they provide. Financial struggles and questions. Should I buy? Should I rent? Should I go to school? Should I work? Car, food, digital currency, digital bank accounts. What should I do? The temptations for our children and for ourselves are crazy when it comes to the mind-numbing ability of technology to make us, like, zone out. How it can corrupt and destroy our heart-mind and soul simply by what we take in. Never mind the online gambling and the online porn that wants to destroy lives to the very tangible things you can pick up in drugs and alcohol. They're actually having conversations about repositioning nuclear weapons. I thought that was done in the 80s. And now there's AI and chat GPT. And how will the world ever be safe for us to live in when there's no guarantee that what I am saying, acting, or, or conveying is even what I'm the one actually doing, that it's not a computer somewhere doing it. And for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, Look it up. Thank you, Leah. We can all feel hopeless. And if you're looking for a happy, secure, nice life, there is no real long-term hope for you if you don't have Jesus because it's also temporary. The money's temporary. The joy is temporary. The blades will win to, or lose tomorrow night and it'll be over. Are you a Pats fan out there in there? Is that what that was? So if we were to look back into scripture and how our life is supposed to turn upside down, let's do that for a moment. The ladies first went to the tomb. They're not thinking about the resurrection. They brought spices to anoint the body. Three things about the journey of those ladies in the garden that can apply to you and I. When they first got there, they were hopeless. When they awoke and arrived at the garden, there was no anticipation of anything more than covering over the stench of death and the stench of hopelessness. Everything that they had lived for and believed and gone after for the last three years and everything that history in the Israelite nation had, had taught them about a coming Messiah seemed to vanish. And without the hope of a risen and living Savior, there is no hope. There is no real hope for our lives. Perhaps some of you are here and can relate to that, that right now in your life, there's a level of hopelessness that you haven't experienced before, or you have never known to be your portion in life. But then the scriptures say this in verse five, the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid. He said, I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said he would happen. 
Come see where his body was lying, and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. The ladies in that garden with the message of the angel went from being hopeless to hopeful. Their world was all of a sudden shook up, and what they had come in with the perspective of we're just going to honor the dead was now the possibility that Jesus was alive. And a heavenly messenger in front of passed out guards stirred it up in them. And now there was an expectation that, hey, this is not at all what we expected. Could it be true? Are we going to pass this message on? How does this affect our life? How could they know what would be taking place? Perhaps the stage you are at right now in your life is like the women at this point. You aren't dead to the reality of Jesus, but you're not quite living all you want to live. There's a stirring. There's some hopefulness. You've heard the stories of what happens to people who live fully following Jesus. You're seeking, you're wondering, and you yourself are having some hope. Is there more to this life than what is right in front of your eyes? It's stirring. The Holy Spirit is starting to speak, and he wants to say yes. He wants to say yes to that. In the midst of the despair, pain, fear, uncertainty of life, relationships, health, wouldn't it be wonderful, you think, if there was more to it than this? And then we read, as they went, Jesus met them. And greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. And just like that, in the matter of just a few moments, those ladies went from hopeless to being hopeful to being hope-filled. When they came face to face with the risen Savior, they have now experienced him for themselves. They have grasped his feet and worshiped the resurrected Lord. And all those words that were lost in the background and in the back of their heads are now coming forward that he's going to rise. He's going to rise. He said he was going to rise. He is risen. Jesus is alive. And not only did I go looking for him, he has come to greet me. He has come to look at me. He has come for me. It's my relationship with Jesus isn't dependent on me just trying to find a God who might be out there that God the risen Savior is chasing after me more than I walk after him there is reason for living there is reason for hope they're hope filled all because of Jesus think of the word no 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 God no hope but for those disciples K-N-O-W, no God, no hope. If you want to know hope, you've got to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, because then you can be hope-filled too. Where do you find yourselves this, resurrecting, this Resurrection Sunday? What part of the garden are you in today? Are you hopeless? Have things fallen apart? No faith or relationship with Jesus? Life has not gone as you planned it? I encourage you to seek Jesus, 
to do what those ladies did, to seek him, even when nothing seems like hope or life, even when it's dark, even when it seems like nothing is going on and all hope is lost. Seek Jesus because he wants to be found. Are you hopeful? You know there is more to life than meets the eye. You remember something is going on. I want you to press into Jesus, his mystery. What does hopeful look like for you? It's in that scripture. They were frightened and they were excited. Where did it go on me? They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. If you want to be hopeful, you have to get comfortable with pressing into a Jesus that you don't fully understand. That the mix of the emotions of you being scared and being hopeful can go and it's not... um, It may feel ironic, but it doesn't cancel each other out. That you can hold the tension of those two worlds together to go after the mystery of Jesus to see what he has for your life. That hope would stir and that you would do what you know to do. And if you're hope-filled, then I encourage you to embrace Jesus. To embrace him fully, to live your life out loud, to live fully informed and allow your path to be directed as though Jesus actually is the risen Savior and he has all power over your life and dominion, that you've made him the king and now you don't care who knows it and you want your actions and your business and your schooling and your relationships to be informed by Jesus Christ himself, that you would live like Jesus is alive and live hope-filled. You see, your hope is not situational that all the ducks would line up in a row and all the accounts would finally get full. It is actually relational. Your hope is in the relationship you have with Jesus Christ. It's not found in your circumstances. It's found in a person, Jesus. It's not found in a man, but in God, the God-man, Jesus. It's not found in this world, but your hope comes from out of this world because heaven came to earth for you in Jesus. Hope is not found in whatever answers you can make up, but in the answer, Jesus Christ. The resurrection literally brings hope to life. It brings in this world where there is no hope, it springs up out of the dead. This summer I just saw the grasshopper uh, thing for the prairies. And you can have grasshoppers for no length of time and then all of a sudden out of nowhere these grasshopper eggs sprout. Wrong word. Not germinate, not sprout, come alive, hatch, whatever. Hatch, eggs hatch. Makes sense. Thank you to the children's church teacher for helping me. Things just come back to life in the resurrection. And when all has seemed lost and hope has died, hope can resurrect and then hope can come to your life. It brings hope to your lives and brings a reason for living. Summer is coming. It's starting today with whatever our temperature is finally going to get up to. And all around the world, as summer hits, families and people will hit the beaches and they will be all sorts of games and toys and inflatables including things like beach balls and kids will be playing them and with them and having fun how would you like this to be the beach ball you take on the beach look like a lot of fun not really looks boring it looks very boring you see it looks 
like a beach ball. It feels like a beach ball. It's even kind of shaped if I hold it out like a beach ball. But this thing is not a beach ball because why? It's not inflated. It's got no air in it. Dermot, help me out. I'm not going to ask him to blow it up. I should have bought the small ones. These take forever to uh, blow up. But, but if you, thank you, sir. Give my hand, my volunteer, a round of applause. But if you fill up a beach ball with air, all of a sudden it is able to do what it was designed and created to do. Now it's fun. Now you can play with it. Now it can bounce around. And it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do because it's filled up. Imagine this is your life. Looks and shapes like a life. But if it isn't filled up with hope, you can't operate in what you were created for. If you don't have the hope of Jesus Christ and the resurrected Savior in your life, you might look like a person, you might look like someone that was created, you might look like you're supposed to have a life, but you can't actually experience what you were created for and designed for unless you're filled up with the hope that comes with the relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you're filled up, all of a sudden you take on that design and you get to enjoy that relationship and actually like a beach ball on the beach or on the ocean or on the waves when they're coming this thing rides the waves it's not scared of the storm it can actually still function and hold its shape you can actually take this out in the water and a big whale like me lay on it and it'll sink under the water for a second and then it'll pop up because you can't keep this down not because it's some kind of positive thinking, not because I've got all my organizational ducks in a row when I have no stress today, but because you can't keep hope down. You cannot bury hope. Hope in the life of the believer is what keeps coming to the top. Even when you're struggling, even in your struggles, even in your difficulties, hope rises. And that is what we get to experience. No matter the politics, no matter the environment, no matter the relationships, the temptations, the finances, the sin, the technology, we have hope that Jesus will lead and guide us and give us a path from here to eternity. Will you let your life be filled with this hope? That's the question today. And will you let this hope, this hope of Jesus Christ, meet you at whatever place you're at? Hopeless, hopeful, or hope-filled? As the team comes and we close in a song about God saving us and turning our lives around and declaring we no longer are sinners belonging to hell, but saints belonging to heaven. I have two questions for you. Some of you may be hearing this and you're wondering why that guy's so crazy on stage and yelling at me. Hopefully it's coming across as enthusiasm that the Jesus Christ that has come for each one of us and that I've got to experience in my life has come for you. And if you have never personally acknowledged yourself to be a sinner who needs the relationship with Jesus Christ and acknowledge your sin and receive his forgiveness, today is that day. And you can pray here, you can pray there, but we encourage you to pray and make certain your relationship with him and make your decision to follow Jesus, the resurrected Lord. And then the second thing is in regards to, again, whether you're hopeless, hopeful, or hope-filled, that no matter where you are at, Jesus is seeking you. And as you push towards him, 
you can experience his hope. And so I'm going to invite us to stand, if you would. And I'm going to pray a couple prayers. The first one being a, a simple prayer about making a decision. It's not about the magic words. It's about the expression of the words in your heart. And if these words align with you wanting to make a decision to follow Jesus or to come back to him, or for the rest of us, you are willing just to reaffirm your faith, would you pray this? Let us pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you rose for me after dying for me. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I choose to follow you. Fill me with your hope. Wash me from the sin stains of this world. Fill me with your spirit and transform me into your child. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. But is there anyone who would say, today I prayed that prayer and I have made that decision to be a child of Jesus. I invite you to put up your hand, not because you're proving anything, but as a public testimony between you, me, and God that you are trusting him for eternal life. Awesome. God bless you. If you've made that decision today, I invite you to see me and talk to me or one of the team and we want to be encouraging you and praying for you. Now for the all the rest of us at whatever state, hopeless, hopeful, or hope-filled, but particularly for the hopeless, if you're at that point where you feel like you're walking alongside a dead Savior rather than the, the hope that comes from a risen Savior, we want to pray for you today. And we want to ask Jesus to fill you and to heal your heart. And so I'm going to ask you to do something brave and put up your hand like those ladies making that testimony walking to the garden that you would put up your hand in this place saying i need prayer i feel hopeless i need help is that you in this place i'm going to wait a minute i think there's people here that feel like that thank you would you pray after me dear jesus thank you that you came to give hope I acknowledge my hopelessness. I need you to fill me. So I give you my fear, my anxiety, my pressure, and my doubt. I surrender it to you, and I embrace your feet and worship you. I choose to follow you. Fill me with your hope, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.